Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 107. Today, we'll be discussing how we increase student engagement in the music room. We'll also share highs and lows from our teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better Do Better segment, offer a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. And now it's time for us to talk about highs or lows from our school week. Carrie, how's it going? What you got? Um, so... Yeah, it was a it was a challenging week. Not gonna lie, a lot going on. Um, Valentine's Day, and we had some snowy weather. Yeah, and- can we just say? And I know this has been going around, but okay. So Valentine's Day was a Monday. It was also the first day in our district with no masks. Yeah, it was also right before a full moon. It yeah. was also Valentine's Day parties. It was all sorts of things on that day. And who who thought about that? Oh, yeah, that wasn't a great combo. And then, you know, not anyone's control, but my uh, my teammate was out, didn't have a sub, so I ended up with double classes. It was just the perfect storm of ridiculousness, but um, most of that out of my control. So, hey, I'm going to go high and just talk about something totally different instead of focusing on that. But I just had to say it. It was, it was not a perfect week by any means. But one thing that's been going on in my classroom lately that I've been really just excited to see is, um, you know, I've been we've been getting more back into melodic work this year. We've talked about this, you know, off and on, Mike, like how, you know, through the pandemic and not singing or singing through masks or less singing or whatever, you know, melodic work is struggling and trying to get back in the groove. And we all know that it's harder to teach melodic concepts than it is rhythmic concepts. But all that to say, um, my third graders are practicing low la and my fourth graders are practicing low so. And with both of those groups, I've been doing a lot of things on barred instruments and I'm not talking like even fancy orf ensembles or anything, you know, not that that's unattainable, but I'm just saying what I've been doing with them in the very early practice stages is just like straight up decoding melodies and then playing them on barred instruments. And I have enough instruments either that students have their own or we're doubled up and they just love sitting there figuring out melodies on instruments and giving them the time and the space to do it. And then, okay, let's try it together. And does anyone want to play this part by themselves? You know, our, our discussion today is on student engagement and I was just so pleased to see how engaged they were with that activity and it just reminds me sometimes the simple things of just like hey let's sit and decode and play a song in an instrument is really really satisfying so um that was good oh yeah I love it yeah yeah how about you I enjoy doing that yeah oh yeah um I like sitting at a piano and plucking out like a pop song for fun Uh, yeah figure it out it's like oh cool I can do it yeah um, I'm sorry, I'm going to go low. Fine. <laughs> so I've been playing a lot of hand percussion uh, in class and I have two congas that belong to me that I've had for, oh gosh, a really long time. Like I want to say 15 years I've had these congas and I used to play them in this Afro-Cuban band that I was in where I played djembe, I played congas, I played other small percussion um, and sang. Anyway, so these black congas 
um, stained wood, and you used them for a little while. Yeah, they were in my classroom for a while when you needed yes. for them to be. They're beautiful. And I love them, and, and they belong to me. Um, so, and it was Monday, on Valentine's Day, that I was getting third graders set up with instruments, and I have my congas, they have these stands that they go on, and I was just bustling about the room, and me and my big behind was not paying attention, and I bonked over my larger conga and it fell to the flat floor and it cracked down the center and I'll post a picture in our show notes if you want to see what happens when a conga falls from a stand um, onto the floor it just cracked straight down the middle and I'm just uh, kicking myself over it and really sad about it it's not something I can see replacing anytime soon um, I tried to call a local drum shop and got no answer. I don't think it can be repaired. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it just, oh, it just makes me sick. I mean, silly I question, but does it affect the sound a lot? I mean, it's, is it not? No, stable? not really. But what's interesting is that it's gotten worse. Like just sitting there, it just seems like it's spreading. I like not, it, it's becoming, the crack is getting deeper it's like all the way through the wood right, right and it's just more apparent like as the day went on you go look at or it, it just is I don't know I wouldn't be surprised if it just like completely split in half well it's only one big crack but I don't know I kind of put it aside and I just couldn't really deal with it after I tried to call around and see if I could get it repaired so I don't know what I'm gonna do yet I can't see myself rushing out and buying a six to eight hundred dollar conga right now it's mm. not happening uh it just I'm makes sorry. me really sad but it's me I wasn't like I said I was bustling around the room with third graders and I just was not paying attention it was not them it was me so yeah. that stinks kind of a bummer So now it is time for our main theme, and today we are talking about increasing student engagement in the music room. I think it is common knowledge that this year has been difficult. It's been a hard year, harder than a lot of us anticipated. I think we all, and I mean, maybe I'll speak for myself, but it seems to be a common thread that we we thought that this year was going to be easier than last year in terms of like when we started the year, things were quote unquote, like headed back to normal a little bit. Like, yeah, we're still wearing masks, at least in our case, but we're able to sing. We're not quite as worried about the distancing. We're able to join hands. We're able to make circles. So it was starting to feel more like we can just go back to being like normal music room plus masks. And I think what we all quickly realized was that the effects on our students as far as their engagement and their ability to work within a community of learners um, was really impacted by this pandemic in a way that we didn't even realize. I mean, we knew, but we didn't know. (laughs) Am I summarizing this well, Tanya? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been seeing, you know, a lot of social media posts about everyone saying this is, you know, one of the hardest years as far as behavior goes. My younger students, my youngest students who never went to kindergarten, never went to preschool, now all of a sudden they're first graders or second graders. They don't know how to sit in a circle. They don't know. And then, you know, with older kids, I think 
sitting in front of technology so much last year, we forgot how to do it without the technology. We forgot how to, you know, and we as teachers as well, how do we engage our kids in real authentic activities that aren't necessarily attached to technology? So with that said, Tanya shared an article with me that I read and we're going to post it in our show notes uh, titled How to Ensure Students Are Actively Engaged and Not Just Compliant. And this article is by Katrina Schwartz. And um, I think the theme of it right there is the difference between compliance and engagement. And this article is written for all teachers, not obviously specific to music teachers, but there are definitely some things that make you pause and think and go, oh yeah, there are some things I could do better here um, for my students that will yield better results if I'm thinking about the difference between compliance and engagement. Right, exactly. And I just thought it was really interesting, an interesting read, because several of these things, when we're talking about qualities that are part of an engagement lesson, they're really inherent to the things that we are doing already. So um, with that said, I'm just going to uh, list some of these qualities. And we'll talk about things that we might be doing already or things that we could include in our lessons that would help um, with student engagement. Yeah. All right. So uh, does the activity strategy task or idea allow for the student to personalize his or her response? Can they bring their life experiences into the activity and make it their own? Are there clear and modeled expectations? Is there a sense of audience above and beyond the teacher and the test? Does the activity have value to someone else? Oh, and for that one, well, we'll go back, but I was <laughs> like, aha. Uh, is there social interaction? Do students have an opportunity to talk about the learning and interact? Is there a culture of emotional safety? Are there mis are mistakes valued because they are an opportunity to learn? Do students have opportunities to choose within the activity? So lots of these things we have touched on in previous episodes and previous topics. Um, right away, I let's talk about that last one I just said, do students have opportunities to choose within the activity? And student choice, uh, I think we had a whole other episode. Oh, and I'm spacing out which one it was, but we'll, we'll find it. Um, yeah, we'll link to whatever we can find there. Yes, choice and voice. So having the opportunity for students to have choices within their activity, that is big, even when the choices are small. Um, yeah. Just this past week, I, like I said, was doing some hand percussion, some drum circles with kids. And I always ask volunteers, who wants to be first? We're gonna go around the circle. We're gonna do this call and response thing. Who wants to be first? Oh, okay, this kid wants to be first. Which way do you wanna go? Clockwise or counterclockwise? I mean, those little tiny choices, which we think, who cares? What's the big deal? That really does give students agency over what's going on in the classroom, right? If they have some opportunities where they can choose what's happening, they can kind of direct. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing um, an ukulele unit with my sixth graders and um, we're at the point now where we are able to play uh, C chord, F major and A minor chords. And once you get to that point, there are so many songs that use uh, some sort of combination of those chords. So what I've done for my students is in their Google Classroom, I set up a, a topic of ukulele songs and there's four choices of songs that they can learn and practice using C, F and A. And my um, my assessment that I'm going to give to them like 
when my next rotation with them is, okay, which one do you want to be assessed on? Which one do you want to play for me as a performance test? Um, and they're going to literally sign up for one of those songs, and then I'm going to test them on one of them. So oh, cool. they have that agency to choose which one they want to use. So they're showing me the same skill that they can play these chords, but some of the songs are inherently more difficult. Some of them are easier, and we'll talk about that. Um, yeah. But really, it also just comes down to what song do they like, you know? Exactly. Um, and I'm, I'm so sorry, but I missed two, two, two. Oh things. yeah, there's two more. There's two more on the list that I just didn't get to. Um, is an is the activity authentic? This doesn't mean it always must connect directly to the student's world, but it should connect to reality. Oh, I have lots of things to say about that. Um, is the task new and novel? If kids are bored, it's hard to see engagement. Oh, and I have lots to say about that. Um, right. Okay. So can we go back to authentic activity? Because yes, this please. is something that I think as Kodai-inspired teachers, we really strive to make things, any kind, anytime we're practicing melodic or rhythmic concepts, we really want to always bring it back to musical material that the kids already know. That That's one of the whole tenets of the Kodai teaching philosophy is that we start with music and get, we start with full songs, kids get engaged, kids get um, invested in this song and then we take out the musical learnings from that song and so when I think about authentic activity and sometimes I see people on I don't know YouTube Instagram whatever who are just maybe drilling specific rhythms with say um, triplets that's fine and good but are you bringing it back to other known materials so that you make it authentic because I can definitely definitely see how elementary students may not see a connection between, oh, well, I'm doing this fun rhythm play along YouTube video, but look how these rhythms are in this song that I already know really well. Right. So it's the teacher's job to bring that back around and go, oh, look, this is why the, this is authentic because it's part of this music. Right. And also authentic to them, connected to their reality. And this also goes back to the first point, too, about um, personalizing their responses, bring their life experiences into the activity. You know, this is something that I think Kodai-inspired teachers haven't been very good at, is we, we stick to our love of, you know, tried and true folk music, which we talked about in our last episode, how important that is. But many um, Kodai-inspired music educators, including myself, have not done... Um, um, are best at including popular quote unquote music, more modern music, and I'm getting better. And I know Tanya, you've been doing this too. So are we also able to, you know, yeah, okay, we are reading rhythm flashcards, but can we do it along with a, you know, rhythm track to a song that they're familiar with from the radio? Or can we find some melodic patterns like you did the the dynamite song, right? The, <laughs> you know, I mean, but how engaged were they in that activity when you? Oh yeah, I just loved it. I had a couple of kids who were like, "Wait, that's that's dynamite!" Exactly. Like, yeah, you're selfish. Yeah, and this actually happened this last week where we were playing drums, but before that. Um, with some fifth graders, I uh, we've been doing a musician of the day, and our musician of the day was Alicia Keys, and so I showed them part of a tiny desk concert that I just thought was awesome. And the kids were like, "Well, can we? Can, what about Girl on Fire? We want to hear Girl on Fire." And so by Alicia Keys. And then at the end of class, I was like, "Okay, well, we're here. We are in our drum circle. Let's put that song on. We put it on pretty loud. Let's play along." 
And so first we were just playing the steady beat. And then I was able to lead them towards, let's play this rhythmic ostinato. And I never spoke, let's, I didn't say, and now let's stop. And now let's play. They just right. followed me and we just made sure we're playing along with the tune. And that is definitely valuable because, you know, if you're worried about your kids steady beat, they always rush. Well, you got to give them something to play with. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so that was a great way for them to see how it does connect to music of other people that they enjoy. Yeah. And another tip for that I've done too, when they're doing like, like you said, like rhythmic play alongs kind of thing is um, if I'm going to use like a popular song, sometimes I'll just find the karaoke or instrumental track for it because then we're not getting distracted by the melody and singing along. And, you know, it depends on what the task yeah. is. But if I just want to provide them with some sort of a backing track and a steady beat, I'll use the karaoke version of a song they know. So they still go, oh, that's blah, blah, blah. They know what it is. But that way we're just really not getting distracted by melody and lyrics. Yes, exactly. All right. I know we're jumping around, but I that's hope right. that's okay. So let's talk about new and novel because I'm thinking about our recent episode all about manipulatives. Oh yeah. And how that definitely brings new and novel ways to learn yeah. to the kids, right? And you and I have had this conversation several times about how um, these days tactile things are new and novel because kids have been on screens for a couple of years now and doing things. And not that I've let go of that completely. Um, it's a great tool, but sometimes now getting out those popsicle sticks and building rhythms with them or using your um, texting sticks and having kids sing back melodies by touching these little stickers on a bigger tongue depressor, you know, all of these new and novel ways to practice does keep them more engaged. Totally. Or even using, we always talk about mini erasers and it cracks me up. You know, I'll use, you know, fall autumnal mini erasers to do melodic patterns, you know, in the fall. And then all of a sudden now we're using, you know, uh, vegetables and things in the spring and we're talking about gardens and it's like, oh, this is a brand new activity, you know, and it's like, right, really, right. it's the exact same thing. I just switched out the mini erasers we're using, exactly. but they get really excited about that. Right. Yeah, so I think that's a wonderful way that we already do that. Um, let's see. Let's talk about the social interaction one. You and oh, I were sure. this a little bit off mic about do students have an opportunity to talk about the learning and interact? And I know this is something you've done a lot, Tanya, is create those intentional moments for that turn and talk moment or across the room, buddy or elbow partner. You want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, well, I mean, it's something that I know classroom teachers have been doing forever in a day. Um, and, you know, we just, when we walk in, there's music playing and maybe there's a video that goes along with it. I prefer to show live performances whenever I can. And then they have an opportunity instead of like raising a hand and telling me what kind of things they heard or noticed or saw or wonder about, they can talk to a neighbor, an elbow partner. So sometimes we do an elbow partner and sometimes we do a cross town buddy where people get up and they find somebody that's not right next to them or catty corner from them to go talk to. And it's interesting because I think many years ago, I would have seen that kind of time as me being lazy. Because I think when I started out teaching, I just thought, if I'm teaching, it's gotta be like, I, I gotta be working. Like I've gotta be leading or talking or singing or like 100% of the time, but that's not how kids learn. Right is not this 
sage on a stage business. And so, um, you know, I had to let go of that and go, wait a minute, they actually are saying more by talking to each other rather than just have a few kids popcorn out. Yeah. So I don't, you know, that happens. And I think that they get a lot more out of it when they can, if I hear them getting off track, of course, you know, there is a time limit and you can always listen to the conversations in the room or listen to the, the level the volume level. And then, you know, when it starts to dip, it's time to regroup. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing that a lot more too. the turn and talk kind of things. And I'm also, this kind of also involves student choice. A lot of times, um, if we're doing even just like a worksheet or some sort of, um, you know, composition thing or whatever, um, I'll give students the choice. You can either work alone or work with a partner. And because some students really prefer to work alone. And as uh, I would say more and more as I get older, introvert myself, um, there are times I just want to do things alone. So sometimes forcing partners isn't always a, a good tactic either, but giving them a choice if, if you want to work with a partner, because some students will do better with a partner and giving them a chance to, to self-select those things helps yeah. as well. Yeah. And all of that also gives opportunities for kids to tell their stories to somebody else yeah. instead of just you. Cause you know, you always have a kid who's like, oh, my grandfather played the trumpet and they, and then five other kids want to tell you about someone who played the trumpet or maybe how they saw someone playing trumpet at Casa Bonita or something. And then when you give them opportunities to talk to each other, that's another way for them to make those connections with other kids rather than just me, the teacher. Yeah, totally. Um, let's also talk about the clear and modeled expectations. Oh, I was going to go there too, because I failed before with that a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I will say this is something, um, you know, in the past couple of years, I have really been thinking a lot about making sure students are held accountable for their learning in an authentic way, making sure that in every single class, my students are doing something that is, I can be assessing them or I can be observing whether or not they're understanding the concept, whether it's I can see them playing an instrument, they're singing a solo, they're doing a worksheet, they're doing manipulative, something where I am able to see that they are getting it. Um, I feel like maybe we could do a whole another podcast episode about assessments and, you know, what those look like in the music room, authentic assessments, things that don't take away from the time and, and, and all the wonderful active music making that you're doing. But the point being that I make sure the students know when I'm assessing them and I make sure they it's very clear what I need for them to do. I yeah. think we've all had those oopsie daisy lessons or moments where <laughs> things get off track. And I know when I think back on it, I think oftentimes I was not clear in my directions or why I was not clear in what I wanted them to do. For sure. Definitely, I've had that experience. Um, yeah, and, and I always, not always, but there's been several times where something has bombed and then I'll think back, um, why did it go okay with this group and not this group? And I always can see, oh, well, I was rushed and I did not model. The modeling is just really important, especially for younger and younger students is that you really got to show like exactly what it is that's expected of them. I mean, I've even go so, gone so far as like, okay, now that you have some practice time on the keyboard or the recorder, look, this is how you could practice. Oh, I wanna play this piece. Well, let's see, um, I'm gonna play it through and see where I might stumble. Oh, wait, these measures are a little tricky. 
huh, what do I do? Oh, I think I should break it down. Let me just speak the rhythm. All right. Oh, now let me see if I, you know, you can even model like individual practicing because kids don't know. They just are not going to know. Yeah. There to, to show them. Totally. And I think a trap we fall into as music teachers, I know I have is, you know, because we see every, we, we do our lessons three times in a row, right? Whether it's like bam, 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 or one week, second week, third week. But if I think about like, if it's a stations day, for example, I'm oftentimes really good at giving directions to that first class. And I'm really explicit about my expectations and what I want. By the time I'm doing the same thing with the second and third class, sometimes I feel like, oh, I just got to get to it. I just need to rush, you know, that, and I don't give as much time to it. And that's when I notice things go really wrong. And it's like, well, if they haven't heard me give the directions three times, I'm yeah. doing it three times and I'm sick of myself, but they're not, they still exactly. need it. So yeah. reminding ourselves that the repetition is just a natural part of our job. And we kind of just have to look for interesting ways to keep it fresh for us. But as far as the students go, they, they need us to be just as clear on the third class as we were for the first class. Yes, exactly. Oh, and that's so true because I, yeah, like you said, I, I'm sick of myself but they haven't heard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, okay. Can we also jump over to, is there a sense of audience above and beyond the teacher and the test? Does the activity have value to someone else? Well, yeah, it's music. <laughs> so right. totally a sense of audience. And of course this goes, this is, if you're planning a concert or a program or some kind of performance, then definitely there's always this thought of, oh, we're getting this ready to present to an audience, right? Yeah. But even if it's not something that's gonna be presented to an audience, I think that it's really inherent that we want this to sound good. And you can do this by recording them, videotaping them. Or I actually think that audio recordings are more valuable because I notice when I do audio recordings of kids and play it back instead of video recordings of kids and playing it back, video whenever there's a visual element that's what they focus on right and so this is why i want to record them and have them listen to the audio and just listen and be able to say oh wait a minute we really rushed there or you know so music just lends itself so well to this sense of audience above and beyond yeah yeah, I love that idea of recording them and just saying we're doing this for ourselves because we want to make beautiful music for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. And then there are times where if I do have a class that might not be feeling it, that might not be as engaged in something, if I just kind of make up something like, oh, I think we should perform this for your teacher when your teacher picks you up or, oh, you know what, I think I'm going to record this and put this on Class Dojo for your parents to see. Oh, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. that ups the ante a little or bit. The class news. Them. So yeah, one of the schools I teach chat they have like a little news brief that happens like once a week and it's like oh why don't we record this for the news and then everybody in the school will see it and that yeah. really gets them motivated yeah looking for those little mini opportunities to perform is great yep so one thing I just want to mention too about this list, and again, we'll link to the article if you want to see that, see it all written out in its entirety, is that, you know, it says immediately after the list that it's undoubtedly hard to get to all eight of these, you know, active or not activities. What's the word I'm looking for? You know, qualities. 
qualities. Thank you so much. It's, you know, if it feels overwhelming, it's because it is, you know, and this isn't meant to make us feel guilty as teachers that, oh, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. Um, the According to, to the research and the observations mentioned in the article, that if you do at least three, this can make a huge difference and it can turn around a lot of the things you might be seeing as far as disengagement in your classroom. So, you know, I think as music teachers, you know, yes, we don't see our kids as often as we want and, you know, we're teaching multiple grades and all this stuff, but that doesn't put us off the hook when it comes to trying to find new and creative ways to engage our students. And if even just doing one of these or two of them for right now, and then adding to it as you feel more confident, um, I think it's definitely worth reflecting on this list and looking for those little those little tweaks that you can do. This doesn't yeah, mean you completely just, throw out your lesson and start over. It's no. just like you said, instead of having a whole group discussion, let's do a turn and talk instead. Instead right. of we all play yeah, this one just, song, you get a choice between two songs, right? Yes. It's just part of the toolbox of things to keep in mind. And it's really interesting to plan with this little checklist, you know, by your side and say, okay, we don't have to have all of these, of course, in every single activity, that's not possible. But do I have like three of them? Mm -hmm. And like I said, music inherently, a lot of these just go along with that. We also wanna make sure that we mention that um, student engagement, some of the things that might be making some students disengaged are not in our control. Yeah. Right. And as much as we want to say 100% of the time that I reach every student every day, no matter what, there we have to be pragmatic and realistic that sometimes kids come to school with things that we can't help with in the moment. Right. There are systemic things going on in kids' lives that is going to cause them to be disengaged in not just your music class, but in much of what's going on in school. And we really want to give the message that you cannot take all student disengagement personally. Yeah. Right. And that some things are simply out of your control and some things, um, you know, do what you can investigate, see what you can do to help if you have like one or a couple of students who are consistently disengaged. It is your, do your due diligence, reach out to the classroom teacher, reach out to the family, reach out to the student, you know, be authentic about, I want to get you loving music and engaged in music, but understand that things, when they don't go awesome, after you've tried lots of things, please don't take it personally. It's not your fault necessarily, right? 100%. And Tanya knows I'm going through this right now. I had a particularly rough week with my sixth graders this week. And, you know, my immediate plan of action when I have students completely disengaged in the learning and disrupting others in their learning as well is, you know, check in with the student. Obviously, students did not really want to engage with me. So then my next step is talk to the classroom teacher. What's happening there? Well, guess what? The same things are happening for the classroom teacher as they are for me. So that immediately takes that pressure off me that, you know, I am not the savior. I'm not going to be able to fix everything in my little 45 minute period. 
but some things that I'm proactively doing this week to work on it is um, going to parent-teacher conferences. We serendipitously have parent-teacher conferences this week. So, you know, that mm-hmm. that shows the the teacher and the, the family at home that, hey, I am one of your child's teachers too, and we're all on the same team to help this kiddo be the best they can be. I'm also having a restorative uh, conversation with a kid um, led by one of our administrators, and I'm going to be meeting with another one of our administrators to talk about a student's 504 plan and how I can best meet his needs in the music room as well. So, you know, like you said, there's there's due diligence. Yes, it takes time. But, you know, when I think about this list, I think about, you know, we talk about tier one things for kids, tier two things for kids, right? To me, this list is tier one. This is stuff that oh, yeah. we should be doing for all kids all the time as much yeah, as we can. Yes. Um, Cause that's gonna meet the needs of all kids. And then when these things don't work, here are some tier two things. And, you know, that goes more into your school's particular situation for, restorative practices or PBIS or whatever systems you've got in place. But, you know, this list will hopefully at least meet the needs of most, if not all of your kids, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So it's just a place to, you know, try some things out and, and up engagement, but you cannot save the world. And um, <laughs> we've got to be realistic about what we can do. And Listen, if you're still teaching and you've been teaching through this whole mess of a pandemic that we're still in, we know your heart's in the right place and you're going <laughs> to. We're there with you. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. If you're still teaching, then yes, we believe that you're doing all the things that you should be doing. But at the end of the day, take care of yourself and understand that you, you cannot change the world all this week. Totally. And now it's time for our No Better Do Better segment, where we discuss something that uh, we'd like to know a little bit better so we can do a little bit better. And Carrie's got something. This is this is totally like out of the blue as far as it's not specific to the music room or this time of year or anything like that, but it's just something that came up this year and it made me think. Um, we had a spirit week earlier in the year and our principal, you know, wrote in our, you know, weekly newsletter. He was open to suggestions of what, you know, we wanted each day's theme to be, but he said we will not be doing quote unquote, crazy hair day. And here's why. And he linked to some articles and I'm going to link to one here in our show notes. And um, it really just was that aha moment of, yeah, we really need to be thinking about this. So the gist of it is, what are we thinking of when we're thinking of quote unquote, crazy hair day? And what are some of the images that I think of is often white girls taking their hair and doing lots of different braids or lots of different ponytails or piggy tails or even cornrows. And what are we telling our black children, especially our black girls, when we are saying that this is quote unquote crazy hair or even wacky hair. Um, So the idea being that this idea, while it was obviously always well-intentioned, Um, intent is different than impact, right? And if we are normalizing what a certain type of hairstyle looks like, and we're labeling another type of hairstyle as crazy, 
what about the children who wear their hair like that commonly because it's part of their culture and it's part of their their historical background so all that to say you know there are so many ways that we can have a spirit week in a school and um it's just interesting to think about that as a particular example of you know if we're normalizing one thing we're othering others right so yeah if if you're on a committee or even just part of a larger school conversation about spirit week and crazy hair comes up maybe be the change and you know read this article and think about how that might impact some of your marginalized students yes So now it's time for a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, just something fun and exciting to make our jobs easier, more exciting. I don't know, whatever. Tanya, wow. what do you got? <laughs> you said exciting twice. Now I feel like the pressure's on. Okay. Um, actually, it is kind of fun and exciting. It is definitely fun and exciting. And I have to credit uh, Rachel Tannenblatt from Music with, with Mrs. Tannenblatt uh, because she mentioned a site called drmusic.com. And that's Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R-M-U-S-I-K, music, spelled with a K. Um, and within this uh, web-based, it's all web-based, there's all of these different, quote, apps, although that they are web-based, you do not have to download or buy anything. They're all free. But there's several, several, several musical um, games and uh, tools that kids can use. I haven't even explored all of them. I've explored the forest of instruments and it's got this cute little fox and some renaissance type sounding music happening. And then you hear an instrument and the little fox has to identify which one of the three instruments pictured it is, which oh. is way fancier than you know I could create on my own in Google Slides. There's the sea of rhythms where kids hear a rhythm and they have to click, you know, which, uh, and it's got a pirate theme. Um, going on. Also, there's a virtual xylophone that I am totally going to use oh. because you can uh, shade out bars that you don't want kids to play. And of course, it plays this virtual xylophone. But just what a fantastic visual to use if you're having kids set up instruments, if you want to demonstrate just really big on the smart board for them. Dr. Music's Beatbox, I haven't tried that one yet. But there's so many fun things on here. So this is great. I have heard I know. Of this. Yeah. And um, I'm thinking there's a couple of these that would be perfect. I am going to need um, a sub here this next week. And I thought, wow, I could definitely see second graders doing this cute, the forest of the instruments uh, thing. And that could definitely go along with our whole Peter and the Wolf activity that I already I have love done. it. Yeah. That's awesome. And we'll link to this in the show notes. And and it's not like flash based, right? You don't need a flash player to do it. Cause I know so many of my old favorite websites no longer work on our Chromebooks because they're flash based. I don't think, you know what? I haven't tried it on a Chromebook. I would think it wouldn't just because anymore. I think that's yeah. going out of date, but. I don't think that's a thing. Okay, yeah, cool. No, yeah. Oh, I'm excited to check it out. Thanks. Yeah, fun times.
So now it is time for us to share some ideas in our CODA section. These are some personal or professional recommendations that we have. But before we do, we're going to make you wait on that for a minute. We just want to say thank you to those of you who have taken the time to um, write us a review or buy us some coffee. Um, so we're going to just shout out a couple of folks and, and read a couple things here. So first of all, this is a latest review on um, iTunes or the podcast you know, app on the phone. It's iTunes, right? Isn't that what it is? It's it's iTunes, iTunes, right? it's I, yeah, it's iTunes. Yes. Yeah, so I this is from Katrin Anderson. I hope I said your name correctly, Katrin. Um, thank you for this podcast. You have inspired me in your dear new music teachers episode to pursue a Kodai certification and seek a community of like-minded teachers. I'm so grateful for all you pour into this podcast for us. So many good, helpful ideas. So thank you. That just really made our day to read that review. Oh. And Tanya is looking at our Buy Me a Coffee page, and we've had oh, some yes. really sweet, generous folks there, too. Yes, I've got to catch up and just say thank you to Jillian and someone and Becca um, and Christina and someone and Cami. Thank you so much. And Matt and Erica, so much for buying us coffees. We really do appreciate it. And um, we are probably buying coffees with that we do what's happening yeah <laughs> we'll probably buy someone we're at oak so for sure yeah. So again, this, you know, we really appreciate when you support us in any way that you can. Leaving us a review on your favorite podcast player is a huge thing. It helps other people find the podcast. And then obviously buying us coffee is also a great way to say thanks. And we'll link to that in our show notes. And it's also on our Facebook page. You can just click on the link and, you know, donate however much you feel comfortable to buy us a coffee. We really yes, appreciate and, it. And if you have, or even if you haven't, you know, left us review or bought us coffee. If you happen to be at Oak coming up here, uh, the Oak Conference in Pittsburgh from March 3rd to the 6th, please come over and say hi. Um, we love to meet people that are like-minded, of course, and um, it's always wonderful to meet like-minded people. Other totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And just a reminder, because I don't think we mentioned it yet on this podcast, we are presenting at Oak on uh, Friday, March 4th at three o'clock in the afternoon. Our topic is work smarter, not harder, bridging musical concepts through song literature. So um, otherwise known as double duty songs, songs that you can use to teach multiple concepts across multiple grade levels. Um, so yeah, we'd love to see you there or at least just stop by and say hi when you pass us in the hallway or the exhibit hall or wherever you see us. Okay, so Tanya, let's get to our CODAs now. What are you loving these days? Okay, I have actually been loving a lot this, these days. Um, and I'm just going to mention a couple of things. I love listening to music, as of course, I'm sure everybody here does. And um, boy, I still just love rock and roll, just straight up rock music. Um, and one of my favorite bands to see in concert just dropped a new album, would be Spoon and their most recent release is called Lucifer on the Sofa. Um, and All right, so let's get to our Kona recommendations, Tanya. What have you been loving lately? All right, I'm cheating a little bit, but oh well. Um, I like music. I like listening to music. I like seeing music live. One of my favorite bands to see live, Spoon, they just dropped a record, a new album called Lucifer on the Sofa. I am really enjoying it and I will be seeing them in a couple of months when they come out to Denver to perform because I never miss Spoon because they're awesome. 
also, I have been just tearing through the series, um, the Scythe series, which is a young adult dystopian series. And uh, the first book is Scythe, and the second book is The Thunderhead. And I just started the third book called The Toll. And it's a lot of fun. If you like, you know, dystopian, kind of dark, uh, not too dark. I mean, it's, it's YA, but it's just a lot of fun and really good reading. My son is reading that right now. I love it. I think he just finished book two and he was about to start book three. So oh, you two need you to go. get together and chat. <laughs> well, yeah, you should read them too. I know. I, I should. You know what? There is no shame in reading YA. There's some really good YA oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. And how about you, Carrie? What you got? Um, I'm going to recommend a podcast. I mean, I've only listened to one so far, but I know that I'll listen to more. Um, if you enjoy bluegrass music like I do, there is a podcast called Inside the Musician's Brain, and it's hosted by uh, Panda, otherwise known as, oh, I don't know if I'm going to say his real name correctly. It's Chris Pandolfi. There it is. Chris Pandolfi from the infamous, infamous String Dusters, which is one of my favorite groups. Um, he does this podcast, Inside the Musician's Brain, where he interviews really amazing um, bluegrass musicians. So like his latest episode is with the banjo virtuoso Bela Fleck. He has um, interviewed Sarah Watkins from um, Nickel Creek. He has interviewed Sarah Jaros, who's one of my favorites. Just really amazing amazing bluegrass musicians and it's just always fun to hear musicians talk about music right um oh, yeah. so yeah it's just a great podcast if you're into that genre of music and uh, just want to hear folks talking about music making cool We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link in our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.